Hey, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's sermon podcast at Yarmouth Wesleyan. We hope that you are encouraged by the message that you're about to hear. Uh, And we would really appreciate uh, if you would subscribe on Apple Music or follow us on Spotify. That really helps us continue uh, to do the work that we are doing. So thanks again for tuning in and enjoy the message. Can I ask you a question I've asked you 500 times? How you doing? Some of you are like, stop asking me. I do it for me mostly. I get up here and I, I need to get my get the mojo rolling. I need to get that first one line out of the gate. And I, I was doing the math in my head last night and, and not, not different services, but I've got up to preach in this room well over 500 times the last five years. And I think more often than not, the first one-liners, how are you doing? So I'm like, oh, just get to the preaching part, buddy. And I really contemplated today not asking you. I contemplated not asking how you're doing. I contemplated just telling you how you're doing. Because that's good preaching, right? Just tell people what they think. Tell people what they feel. And I really contemplated just kind of getting up here and letting you know that 40 to 50% of you are lonely. (laughs) Merry Christmas. (laughs) I contemplated getting up here and be like, good morning, you bunch of lonely people. If you're not certain why I'm saying that, if you read the surveys, if you read the studies, two things are happening. There's a global pandemic happening and there's an epidemic happening. Now what happens is everyone is talking about the pandemic, but there's an epidemic happening at the same time just underneath the radar. But if you're paying attention, if you watch the language and do just a little bit of snooping this week, you will bump into this thing called the loneliness epidemic. You Google it later, loneliness epidemic, and see if I'm lying to you. The last couple of years, we have been on a steady climb as maybe the loneliest people in history. And then what happened when we were all feeling kind of lonely and uncertain where we fit into the world, uh, this pandemic came along and drove lonely people into isolation. Because what we learned is that you can be lonely in isolation, but you can be lonely in a crowd. You can be lonely in a group. And what happened was we... For the last little while, we've been kind of masquerading and kind of just kind of giving a bit of of smoke and mirrors to the reality that people are lonely, but we kind of do our groups, we could do our life, we could do things we wanted to do. But then we were driven to isolation. All of a sudden, it became this giant epidemic that people are talking about. And it's not just a certain age group. It's not just a certain demographic. You can read articles on how seniors have never felt more lonely and isolated ever before. Literally seniors of senior age, but people who are living in seniors' homes have never felt more alone and isolated. You can read about how the working class is feeling more lonely than ever. I found an article on how loneliness is contributing to bowling leagues falling apart. That's not right, I said that, bowling leagues. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was nothing for to go to a Thursday night, your bowling league, you'd have all your buddies there, you'd bowl, and then it kind of dwindled down from bowling leagues to individual people bowling and individual families to now they're saying people would rather just stay home than go bowling. I thought, now it's bad times. <laughs> bowling is in trouble. And you're hearing it across all kinds of people. And then don't even get me started on our youth. Our youth are struggling. They are in rough shape. And if you haven't talked to your teenage kids or teenage grandkids in a while, if you haven't talked to a teenager in a while, you need to go find Alex and have a conversation about how kids, youth, 
are feeling so lonely and what anxiety and depression and suicidal tendencies are just skyrocketing. And this is a real concern. While there's one big concern we should be paying attention to, there's another great big concern. But we don't gather together just to draw attention to concerns, do we? We draw together to talk about concerns then put hope in the middle of it, right? You come to church to hear a word of hope. You don't come to church, to church just to hear me talk for 30 minutes that these are deplorable days. <laughs> like, Pastor, give us a word of hope. And I'm here to tell you I have a word of hope for you. In fact, even better, more than a word of hope for you, I'm going to fix loneliness this morning. Easy, big fellow. Don't laugh so hard. <laughs> in this sermon, in, nay, in the next five minutes, I will fix loneliness if you hang with me. If you are feeling lonely today, if your back is up against the wall, you don't even know what to do, I have a fix, and it's this. I just need you to know that it could be, I mean, I don't know why you would have an Android, but it could be. I mean, I mean the cure works faster when it's an iPhone. But if you're lonely, if you're feeling isolated, if you're feeling a sense of despair, I'm here to tell you, in my iPhone, I hope and trust. Because it will fix all that ails you. If you're feeling alone today, I want you to know that you can go home with a little device like this and download Netflix. And you never have to feel alone. They, the Netflix company loves you so much that it's provided you original content. And you can stream and stream and stream. And you can pull the blinds on your windows you can shut yourself off from the world. You can pretend nature doesn't even exist anymore. You can even turn your brain off and never think again and just stream content. Now you're thinking, listen, pastor, think better of us. You're into knowledge and wisdom. I get that. May I suggest to you the source of all wisdom and knowledge? May I suggest to you the Facebook app? <laughs> Where right now, Right now, experts, world-class experts are sitting in their parents' basement and they're going to flood to you all of the knowledge that you lack in this world. If you're like, no, I need, I want to study, then go to YouTube. And what YouTube will do for you is they will just give you another video like the video you just watched so you can just think the same thing over and over and over and never be challenged, never think outside the box. Just keep doing more of the same. This is a gift to us. Now maybe you're not into that. Maybe you're more into like watching moms lip sync to music videos. You can go to TikTok then and watch all kinds of foolishness. <laughs> Folks, you don't have to be alone. You can scroll Instagram for hours and feel terrible about your life as people post pictures about their perfect family and perfect life. And you can just say, I wish I was in their family. What a gift and treasure we have been given. So, how are we doing, folks? We were told, we were told 
what you and I lacked was connectivity. Why phone someone, have them not answer, send them a text, like their photos, follow them, know what they're doing every second of every minute of every day. And then we said, here, kids, you should have this too. Here, kids, you should hold all the knowledge of the known world in the palm of your hand because that can't go sideways. How are we doing, folks? We, 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 we talk about loneliness and the world's offering a gift of connectivity. And I'm not even going to tell you there's not even some value in that. What I want to tell you this morning is that God wants to trade the world's offer of connectivity for his offer of community. You can keep chasing connection. You can keep chasing likes and hearts and retweets and all these kinds of things. You can keep chasing more texts and more photos and more attention. Or you can trade that in. You can Yankee swap it, if you will. And God wants to offer you community. Deep community. As I was reading and processing, what does it mean to have community? What would it look like if there was another way? What would it look like if, if God would kind of give us this gift, we would receive it from him. We've been in John a lot lately doing the Jesus I Am series and kind of what he says about himself. And then we did the epilogue sermon last week and we've been soaking in John. As I was reading through John and studying for other series, God left us a little gift in John. It's really short. You almost wouldn't notice it if you're reading it too fast. As I was going through John, I hit John 17 in the, in the high priestly prayer for last week's sermon, but this little phrase jumped out to me. In John chapter 17, verse 20, he's about to leave them alone. He's going to go, and they're going to stay. They're going to be separated. And here's what he says to them in, in chapter 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, that the world may believe, uh, believe that you have sent me. A little phrase there, that they may be one. And I read that phrase, that they may be one, uh, they may be one a few times, and it dawned on me, how many times have we traded oneness just for getting along in the church? Like, I get along with most of the people there. I don't think Jesus prayed that we would get along. How many times have we traded oneness for being nice to each other? I don't think Jesus prayed for niceness. How many times have we traded oneness for the world's message of just to tolerate one another? That's not oneness. Jesus prayed for something so much better, so much deeper, so much richer, that we may be one, and then he didn't even leave it up to us to define what the oneness would look like. He didn't say, and you all get to decide what community will be. You all get to decide what it looks like. He said that they may be one as we are one. Our oneness, the tone of how we do community the way we become a, a chosen nation, a holy race, the royal priesthood, the way that happens, one body with Christ as the head is not by us getting to set the parameters. It's our oneness will be reflected or will reflect his oneness, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Did you know God exists in community? Our God is a God of community 
in oneness, he desires that we would be one. Now, you can't read about oneness and community and then kind of build a sermon around dictating, here are the ways to oneness. Have you noticed you can't lecture love? Have you noticed you can't mandate that people get along? Any parents in the room? I love declaring to my kids, get along. Just behave like each other. Love one another. And it's not working, is it? You can't kind of lecture your kids to love. The new thing I'm doing, which they don't like, which doesn't phase me, I'm the dad, they don't have to like it. The new thing, when they're bickering and fighting too much, I'll make them say sorry, and they'll say, go and hug each other. And usually it's two children doing like the old stiff as a two by four and like slamming their shoulders into each other. Like, no, you two love each other. You can't lecture love. You can't mandate oneness. I can't get up here and just declare that we're going to be a church of oneness. That's not how it works. It's an invitation. There's a journey we go on where the path has markers on it. And if we will walk the path that God has laid out to us, as he has set forth as the Godhead, we may find oneness as a byproduct of following him and the Godhead through. So here's what I mean. First marker on the way to oneness is we must have a deep commitment to one another. We must have, if we're going to experience oneness, a deep commitment to other people. And I don't know about you, but relationships are wildly fragile right now. Have you noticed that? Relationships are so fragile. Part of the reason why I think they're fragile is I do think there's an over-dependence on this. I think there's an over-relying on texts and likes and little, little messages that, that feel like we're connected. Just because I know what you had for breakfast today due to social media does not know I know you, Right? And there's this misnomer of, because I share information with the world, the world must know me, and that's so misleading. And so there's this, this tension where we know about each other, but we're rarely known by anybody. So there's an over-dependence on social media to create this whole friendship thing. But the other issue why relationships are so fragile is that the spirit of offense is on rampage right now. Everybody is offended by everything. I'm not sure what kind of room I'm preaching to. Can I be like really honest with you? It's not just that relationships are fragile, it's that people are fragile. We have got to find an inner strength where we look forward to speaking with and to people who have differing views than us. And what happens is the spirit of offense is just wreaking havoc on us and it's telling us just because somebody has a different opinion than you, therefore they must hate you. That's nonsense. Don't buy that lie. Don't buy the lie. It's going to create fragile relationships. We seem to have lost the ability to be committed to people who are different than us. If you disagree with me, Put 12 people in a room later today. Nah, just put like six people in a room. Forget about it. Just put two people in a room. <laughs> just put two. And put a political party on the table. And watch what happens. Put a named political leader on the table. And watch what happens. Put that nonsensical Tom Brady on the table. And watch what happens. <laughs> put a mandated vaccine on the table 
and watch what happens. And we are losing the ability to love people who see things differently than we see them. If, and I mean if, if we're going to have any sense of biblical community, it must be on the premise that we love people more than their positions. There will be no oneness. There can be no oneness if we love positions more than people. We must, for God so loved the world, while we were yet sinners, we don't have an opportunity or invitation to only love people who are like us. Community and oneness in the kingdom requires risk to stay in when you want to lean out. It's risky. People are different. Kingdom community requires initiating first when you aren't certain if it'll be reciprocated. Do I ask? Do I invite? Do I send that text? I don't know how it's going to go. You have to risk it. Oneness in community will require fresh eyes and a new heart for people you had previously written off. That's the only way to oneness. It must be marked by deep commitment for people. The second marker on the pathway to oneness is through shared mission. Now, I don't know how you grew up in church, but when I grew up in church, it was common for churches to have interest groups. And there's nothing innately wrong with interest groups. Absolutely nothing. The problem, though, or the idea was that if we create enough things around enough interests, that if we get enough people to touch their interests, if we keep them interested, then we'll keep them. And like I said, while there's nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong with interests, if you are not careful, if you focus too much on interests, you start to create echo chambers and whitewash your relationships. If that's a new idea for you, hang tight. If we're not careful, our sense of belonging in community will rest primarily with people who are interested in the same things that we are interested in. They will sound like us, look like us, talk like us, and act like us. What happens, whether you realize it or not, Facebook and YouTube do this to you all the time. You may not know this, but those are not neutral media platforms. They are curating information. There is an algorithm going on that if you like things, if you watch things, those media platforms will send you more of the same kind of content so you keep participating in that platform with your eyeballs and eyeballs create revenue for the company. They don't care about you. But the idea is, let's give AJ more of what AJ watched so he will watch more content and just keeps going. So it's just more of the things I already like. And what happens if I'm not careful, I will create social groups and people groups around me who are curated and algorithmically built for my interests and likes, which means my life is predominantly filled with people just like me. And you know what I don't need in my life? More of me. I already have too much of me. Me is the problem. And part of God's gift to less of me is more of you. I need you in my life. Like, well, we don't say things the same way, Pastor. 
No, probably not, and I hope not. I already know what I believe. What do you believe? I already know what I think. What do you think? And some of the richest conversations I have ever, ever had are not with people who see the world the way I see it. They see it differently. And so I put something on the table, then they put it on the table in a way I've never thought of it before. They sprinkle their perspective and their experiences in like, oh, I never had that thought before. And then I throw two brand new thoughts that I've never had before because they've challenged and pushed me. Well, now that I've pushed them a little bit, they've contributed brand new thoughts. And back together, the body of Christ can push and pull in differences because we've already established we are deeply committed to one another. You don't do that because you're not certain if the person is deeply committed to you. And so you hedge and you pull back and you play it safe. But where we are in true community, we are actually stronger when we're different. Our, our unity is not built on our sameness. It's on the shared mission that our unity is around what God is doing redemptively in our community and around the world. Which means I almost don't care what TV shows you like. I really don't care what music you listen to. Fine, if you like it, like it. I don't have to like your music. I don't have to like your movies. I don't have to like the things you're into to see a deep appreciation for how we stand shoulder to shoulder on God's mission to redeem a hurting world. And we get those all flip-flopped around. I went for a walk a, few, a I don't know, month or two ago, and somebody who loved me dearly, believed that I believed that we were stronger together in shared mission. And so they proceeded to take me to the woodshed. <laughs> and I thought, I didn't ask you for your opinion. And his opinion was that I wasn't doing a very good job as a preacher. Yeah. Now, here's the worst part. He set it up by saying, you're doing a mostly good job. Oh, here it goes. <laughs> you're setting me up. But we're walking along the water, and this friend who I know loves me and is committed to me, he ended by saying, Pastor, you're a weak evangelist. That hurt my feelings. It hurt my feelings not because it wasn't true. It hurt my feelings because it was true. And what he said was, Pastor, you preach up a storm up to the 99-yard line, and then you pull your punch. You need to call for a response. You need to call for people to step out in faith. You need to lean in and not shy away from the gospel. I was like, ah, you're right. <laughs> See, we, we had a shared mission that we both believed and cared for what God is doing around Southwest Nova and beyond. When that is tight, he knew he didn't have to pull his punches with me. I knew he was committed to me. I knew he was all in. He could speak truth and love because our redemptive purposes are aligned. What we need is not people who have the same interests, but people who are praying for the same thing in our communities. You don't need to be around people who like what you like. You need to stand shoulder to shoulder with somebody where you both are loving and serving people who are hurting. Some of the greatest bonds I have with people in my life are not people who like the things I like, but people who have been on mission trips with me. There is nothing like flying overseas, sleeping in a hut on a single bed, snuggling up to some other pastor on the district. <laughs> That's a bond you can't separate. <laughs> some of those people I know deeper and more personal 
than all the Steelers fans and all the things who like what I like because we shared a mission and a purpose. We bled together. And so part of our oneness is not built on the same interests, but co-laboring together. The third pathway, the third marker to oneness in God's kingdom, and if you like the first two, you're really going to like this one, mutual submission. Because if I know anything about people in 2021, it's that they're really good at submitting. I'm going to offer you the most freeing words a man can offer another person. This whole experience of life in this world is not about you. That might be the most freeing thing I can offer you today. This isn't about you. Do you know why that's freeing? Because you were not built. You do not have the capacity to be the center of your own universe. You will implode with that crushing weight on your shoulders if you think this is all about you. Your wants, your needs, your interests, And here's what's crazy. The world's going to keep telling you it's all about you. You deserve. You should. You need. It's all about you. You cannot live with that weight on your shoulders that your existence is to get all that you can for you because you matter more than anybody. You can't handle that. Agreed? You're a little shy on that one. I'll make it easy for you. If you can't handle that weight, our kids can't handle that weight. Your kids, my kids, the kids of our community cannot handle the weight. They are the center of your universe. They can't do it. Kids' number one stress and anxiety is letting other people down. You're going to be the next. You're going to grow up to be such a great. You can do anything. I want to be a motivational speaker if this whole pastor thing doesn't work out. And I'm going to travel to school specifically. And after some principal gets up and says, you can do anything, I want to get up and say, and you will be mostly mediocre. (laughs) Most of you will grow up to be average. You're welcome. (laughs) Kids have an infinite amount of weight on their shoulders thinking they can be anything. No, you can't. No, you can't. You're going to have a hard enough time doing the one thing God created you to do, let alone think you can do anything you want to do. What I want to tell my children as they get older is not that they can do anything. That maybe by God's grace, maybe by God's grace, they can live out the calling he has for them. And they can grow up to live a quiet and godly life as, Timothy, as Paul lines up for Timothy. And that is a noble calling. And there are so many people telling your kids you're going to be the next great this, the next great that. Part of mutual submission is laying down our life and realizing that it's not our life to live. God, what do you want from me? I... I work and I live and I breathe, Lord, for an audience of one. And if I come to my last breath, it will not be my parents who I stand before. It will not be my teachers, my pastors, nonsensical social media posts. I will stand for my heavenly father one day. And God, all I want to do is live a life that you have called me to. 
the thought I've been having a lot lately, not because I'm a cynic, is that I'm turning 40 next year. I'm getting close to death. Mostly I preach for you, but sometimes I throw stuff in for me. <laughs> I've had this thought lately. God, if you take me out tomorrow, within days, I'll probably be forgotten about. And that's okay. And better than okay, that's wildly freeing. My job is not to be awesome, great, or significant. My job is to be faithful. You're like, what does this have to do with submission? It's bending your knee to your heavenly father. And then when I bend my knee to him, do you know how much easier it gets to bend my knee to you? I, I get to submit to you. Did you know that? It's a gift. Submission is a gift. And we rail against it. We wrestle against it. We flail against it. Submission is a gift. And the problem, the reason why you can't hear it as a gift is that you heard submission growing up and you equated that with abuse. The idea of submission is not the gateway to have, being an abusive relationship. The church for a long time had men who would wield the scriptures to get a woman to bend to his knee. That's a dictatorship. That's an abusive, evil dictatorship. And so what happens is we hear the word submit and we cringe. So I know pastors want to talk about that verse in Ephesians, but wives submit to your husbands. We want to live. <laughs> because we have this idea of like submit, like, oh, I'm... No, we're not talking about abuse. We're not talking about being domineering. We're not talking about dictatorship. We're talking about submission in God's kingdom. And when I get to submit, what happens is submission is a gift. It is a gift from my heavenly father that reminds me I'm not the center of my universe. I'm not the God of anything. I get to lay down my life to be part of something bigger than me. And that is a freeing gift Submission is a gift in the kingdom because it allows me to be humbled under a corrective word given in love from a spiritual father or mother. Submission is a gift that helps me lay down my wants to ensure that somebody gets their needs. Submission is a gift because I don't have to know it all. I don't have to see it all. I don't have to figure it all out. I can lay down in the strength to realize that we are actually stronger together and I am not the point of all of this. Do you see it? It's a gift. I get to relax in the community that I'm a part of. And what happens in the sermon right now, everything inside of me wants to lead a charge for better community tomorrow. I want to rally the troops for oneness like the world has never seen before. I'm not going to do that today because you're smarter than that. See, you're not hesitating on community. You're not hesitating on oneness because you're dumb. You're he you hesitate because you're smart. You hesitate on community and oneness because you know in community and oneness is where people are. And where people are, people hurt people. Right? You're not dumb. You're like, Pastor, you can, you can do your whole song and dance. You can even sprinkle in your cheesy humor, but I'm not buying this because I know inside community that's where people are. And people are selfish and people hurt and people do things. And this is not the part of the sermon where I sugarcoat it. This is not the part of the sermon where I say, no, no, no. In this church, you will find community where you never get hurt. I'm going the other way today, folks. I'm going to warn you. I want to warn you. 
that if you step into oneness as God outlines it, if you risk stepping into oneness as God invites you this morning, I'm here to warn you that blood will be shed. I would love to tell you the opposite, but I've been in church my entire life and no group of people on God's green earth have hurt me more in life than the church. Nobody has gossiped about me. Nobody has tarnished my name. Nobody has shot me in the back, stabbed me. Nobody has, nobody has cheated me and wronged me more or my broader family. I come from three generations of pastors. Nobody has done evils to our family like the church. You're thinking exactly. See, here's what I know. God's community is full of broken and hurting people of which I belong in that number. Because as much as you hurt me, I'm sorry to say I'm going to hurt you. I wish I didn't, but I know me. I'm broken. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And so what I invite you to is hurt. But, 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 God's community God's community is infinitely better than worldly connectivity. I, I, I might have blood running on the back of my leg before I leave this service because someone's going to get me and I'm still all in. I got no hedges. I'm not pulling my punches. I'm all in. Because what I've seen with all the misfires never have I ever seen such beauty offered to the world that a church being the church? Never have I seen such profound grace and love as when I've had a spiritual father take me out back and just lay a loving whooping on me and then extend love and grace to someone who didn't deserve it. Never have I seen light in the darkness and light in the hurting as when the church stands shoulder to shoulder and says, whatever we have, we're gonna sacrificially pour it out onto our community. Never have I seen a group of people rally around children who needed to be loved and affirmed and cared for and protected as when I've seen the church in different provinces around Canada and countries around the world, when the church leans in and says, we will give of ourselves as God has given of himself. Never have I seen anything more beautiful. And so I know we're going to get dinged. I know we're going to get wound, but I have no plan B. I'm all in. And I'm inviting you and warning you that nothing will challenge your flesh more than stepping into the body of Christ. And nothing save for accepting Jesus himself, nothing will be richer, more beneficial, and more beautiful than if you will step into God's offer of oneness.